have a couple that um, are putting schools together and working it with um, raising up schools in Haiti and um, they haven't been contactable for a few days since the earthquake, but they, um, the, the leaders of Derby Road do know that they're fine, they're doing um, well, but just obviously trying to do everything they can to raise this stuff up from the ground, literally, so schools and stuff. So we're going to, as a church, we've been praying, Lord, we don't want to just give money because you never know what's going to happen to that. Um, so what we're going to do is next week, on top of our normal uh, tithes and offerings, uh, we're going to trust God that you will hear his heart to uh, bring offerings, and we'll have an extra special offering for this couple and their work in restoring everything that's been damaged in Haiti. Um, I just think it's so good to have something tangible that we're not just giving to DEC, which is great, but we don't know what they'll do with it, but to actually give to a Christian couple trying to bring the Christian faith into young people's lives in Haiti. So can I just ask you, write that down in your diary or put that in. As a note, we will have a special offering next week which will go towards this family, uh, Martinez and his wife in Haiti. Okay, bless you. Lovely to have you with us this morning. Um, it's so funny as a pastor how you learn where your people are at. The fact that there's so many empty seats here told me we'd have a difficult morning this morning. Can I just be honest with you? I just, I just knew that in my heart. You just realize when people sort of want to avoid the presence of God or dash up, and just, you just think, God, you know, Come and be close to where it's happening. So I want to encourage you to do that on a weekly basis. If there's chairs, come on down and fill us. It, it just, it, I could just tell as soon as the morning began, I thought, you know, there's things on us. We're feeling the weight of stuff. And uh, really felt that during the worship. We're going to continue to pray that God would raise our faith. We need to be a people defined by faith, people. We have to be. Or else a broken world is going to look in and see nothing worth having. You know, I think that was Jim's cry of his heart as he brought that to If we rise up in faith, if we believe this, you know, then people will know what's changed us and what's affected us. So I just want to encourage us to be a people of faith and to raise up in faith, to live by faith and trust God, even when circumstances are what they are. We'll have a ministry team after the service who um, will be able to pray for you about anything particularly burdening you. But let's be a people of faith. Yeah, though we do not see him, we love him inexpressibly. Just a few notes very quickly. Um, we don't have our excavate this week. We had a fantastic first week. 36 people showed up. Wonderful time together. So our next meeting together is next Sunday, 7 o'clock at the barn. Uh, please join us. Looking forward to that. And then X-Men going to do paintball. Can I just have a rough hands up who's definitely coming? I know there's a few that aren't here with us today. So we've already got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. Um, that's next Saturday, 10, 11. So hopefully we're going to have about 20 guys. We're going to gather together and just have a ton of fun all day out in High Wickham. There's a notice there. We need your replies via email. We've got a lot. Or else come to us directly today and say, I'm definitely in. I'm already getting some money in. It's £10 a person. And bring some money for some extra paintballs. Because once you have 100 and I know you're finished, I'm just going to turn on you and shoot you. So just make sure you bring some extra money. Um, so just looking forward to that. And then this Wednesday, can I just say, these Wednesdays together, what we call our um, Unite Evenings, are pivotal to our life as a church. Reminded of Andy's statement at the end of last year. If you don't see the need or the importance of prayer as a church, be careful. Because, what was your wording? Yeah, you might get the church you prayed for. And so we, we, we've even said explore groups 
off this week if you'd like, but join us on Wednesday. We want us together on Wednesday. Derby Road, there's parking sort of as you come off the ring road. There's parking around the back. There's parking around the area. Uh, maybe you need to carpool, but we want to be together from half past seven, teas and coffees, and then just lift our hearts to God to be with us as a church, to meet with us for breakthrough, for so much to happen in our lives as a church. So please do join us for that. Um, and can I just... Um, yeah, next Sunday, oh, two Sundays time, um, stretchy lunch. That's in your notice sheet. Don't miss that. That's just a whole lot of good food and a lot of good fun. So um, in your notice sheet. Um, fantastic. I'm going to pray. And um, can I make one more notice? Um, Rudy, uh, Rudy, want to put your hand up? Rudy and uh, the Friends of Torero Charity are having a beautiful Valentine's dinner. Um, you don't have to be a partner or something. You don't have to, it's not, but just a Valentine's-themed dinner on February the 6th. So that's not the Saturday coming, but next Saturday at Christ Church Hall. She'll be walking around the beverages area with tickets if you'd like to come. But that's going to be a fantastic evening together, raising money for Friends of Torero, helping orphans, education, and farming in uh, rural Zimbabwe. So um, we're very passionate about that. So um, brilliant. Let me just pray. And then let us get into the Word of God and hope that God really speaks to us as a people this morning. Lord, I want to thank you for our worship team. I thank you, God, for the improvements and the, the stuff just coming through these guys and girls. I just love that you're moving in them. Thank you for their passion and devotion to lead us. Thank you that not only do they get up here and play guitars and hit drums, but they get you early and set up. And I thank you for that. Thank you for the devotion, Lord. Would we always be a people that congratulate, encourage, and bless them. Thank you for their work on our behalf. I do pray, Jesus, that your word would now go before us, that you would define us by your word. Lord, as a, I feel our faith has been sapped as a people, just feeling a consciousness of that. I pray that your word would come through this morning and just deliver us from that and cause us to rise up again and be so certain and so sure of your love, your grace, your kindness, your mercy, and your blessings upon us, Lord. You do love us, and that itself is inexpressible or just marvelous. And we just ask that you be with us this morning as we share your word. And as we seek you together, in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to need a clock, Andy, because I'm going to be really bad. It's really great. So, fantastic. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. Okay. Well, why don't we just uh, make our way towards Joshua 4, and I'll get us started. And um, just uh, like we said, we're the 13th week into a series through the book of Joshua. And uh, I think God is really working through the series and really blessing us and shaping us as a people. So um, we're going to get straight back into that. And I've entitled this week's sermon, Remember to Forget the Fear. Our whole series is built on a concept of that we as people of faith should be living life without the fear that defines our culture. We as a people of faith... Oh, Gareth, you may need to go out with Tony as well. Is that you? Yeah. Um, we as a people of faith... We need to be living above the fear culture. We need to be living without fear. We need to be living like, the, like Joshua particularly and the Israelites as they claimed the promised land. There's a promised land for us as believers, everything that's in Christ, but we need to live it and live in it by faith. So we're just in that. And um, just thinking this week as we go to Joshua 4, I was thinking that this, what this passage speaks to us about is remember to forget the fear. And um, about four weeks ago, Kiralee and I lay in... Uh, we lay in the bed, just sort of lying there, you know, as you do as husband and wife. And just, uh, we're just remembering the exhilaration of our first days and weeks together. I don't know if you remember, babe. Just lying there saying, oh, do you remember? Yeah, I didn't want to speak to you then. And you were wearing that hat, yeah. And then I kind of touched you and you were like, oh. Just, you know, just 
how crazy it was when you first meet. And we recollected the ineffable palpitations that took place in our hearts and our bodies as we discovered the joy of being in each other's presence. You know, I can remember Kiri surprising me, being on the phone saying, I can't make it tonight. And then there's a knock on the door and my flatmate opened the door and I'm still going, well, okay. And there she's standing there, my heart just going, bang! Just, you surprised me. No one's ever been able to do that because I'm always too inquisitive. But it's just amazing. And we're remembering this. And I can actually recall, I don't know if you remember this, babe, I said to us, while we were dating, even before we got married, I said, let's always be sure to remember, babe. Let's always remind ourselves of these moments. And even now, only four and a half years and two children into married life, the chaos of the everyday mundane can overwhelm the wonder and the joy of being man and wife. And the glorious reality of the love that binds us. I'll say that to you today, Anne. You could get four years into your marriage. And if you don't remember, just some of the exhilarating, or if you don't make space for it to happen again. Anne and Greg, wonderful couple in our church getting married this year. Um, Kenny and Lynn, I mean, hopefully you're living it out already. But this, the exhilaration of remembering those moments. And you just get into the chaos of the mundane. Seven o'clock. Hello, everybody there. That's Malachi up. That's Madison up. Bang. Till 7.30 that night. Kids, just... Just, just kids. And you can forget the wonder and the joy of those early days. And the reason I share about this, remember, the reason I share about remembering and reminding is because that is what I think is at the heart of chapter 4 of Joshua. This is a narrative filled with symbols and memorials. And I hope and I feel these moments, moments this morning particularly, expounding and expanding these moments in Joshua chapter 4 will be of immense benefit to us. If you listen, one of the Joshua's that I've been, one of the authors that I've been studying in his commentary on Joshua 4 says this about Joshua 4. He says this, in this chapter of Joshua, we rediscover that God who has offered us promises for the future and those promises which sustains us now in the presence, that God understands our tendency to lose touch with matters of ultimate concern in our preoccupation with the unrelenting demands of the present. Therefore, he creates for us memorials, reminders that help keep our focus on our roots. It is clinically proven, and it is obvious, and I see it, just speaking to someone this morning, kind of particularly when we actually take a break to slow down, we are living, the body was not created for a 24-7 lifestyle. The body was created to turn everything off at a certain time of day. To have a Sabbath rest, but we don't. As a people, it's go, go, go. If we're not answering a phone call, we're trying to make a text. If we're not making a text, we're playing a video game on our phone. If we're not playing a video game on our phone, we're downloading an app to get another video game on. It's non-stop. It's just constantly, life is coming in at us. Just constantly, constant feed, feed, feed. And we're not made for it. So we get, let me say it again, we get preoccupied with the unrelenting demands of the present. We're bound in a consumerist, self-serving, fear culture. It's all about the self. What can I get or buy or have or take to make me happy? And we're in that. We're in the midst of that. Bound to it. I looked this morning and I just see hundreds of people going into screen three. That's Sunday morning. Sunday morning now is you, you go and there's not church, not a church culture anymore. You go and you do movies or you do something or you go and buy stuff. 
And that's what happens to us. We get so caught up, preoccupied with the unrelenting demands of just keeping up with now that we forget. So I want to say this passage this week speaks of, has one symbol and two memorials. I'm going to read from the ESV version of the Bible because I believe the NIV makes a translation mistake in the book of Joshua chapter 4 where they choose to translate something in a way that the Hebrew doesn't really allow for. So I'm going to read from the ESV in Joshua chapter 4. And I'm going to start in verse 8. And go through this quite quickly because short on time. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded, verse 8, and took up, uh, we should have those verses up, and took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. This is the uh, problem in the NIV. Verse 9 is translated a bit different here. And Joshua himself set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are there to this day. For the priests bearing the Ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people. The people passed over in haste. Unsurprising, you're in the middle of a giant flooded river, you're probably going to rush. And when all the people had finished passing over, the ark of the Lord and the priests passed over before the people. The sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the people of Israel as Moses had told them. About 40,000 men. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him just as they had stood in awe of Moses. And the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests bearing the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded them to do that. And when the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up on dry ground, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. The people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. Verse 23, For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the people of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever what a glorious moment and i think there's one powerful symbol here and two memorials and i'm going to go straight into them the symbolism of the crossing of the jordan if we look at verse 18 we read this and when the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the lord came up from the midst of the jordan and the soles of the priest's feet were lifted up on dry ground the waters of the jordan returned to their place and overflowed all their banks as before. What we must be careful to do, my friends, is to not let the majestic miracle and the awesome redeeming power of Yahweh pass you by in that verse. God has just done something so miraculous, so glorious. As I said on Thursday night to our Explore group, you can maybe try explain it away in two ways. One way is to just say that it's not true, the Bible is lying there, and they just added some bits. Another way is to say that some sort of freak accident of nature there was a massive earthquake 26 miles up the river that opened up and the water dripped in there for the couple of days and then suddenly that earthquake sealed up again in the river you could explain it all away or you could just believe that the mighty miracle working god yahweh who is our god jesus christ jesus jesus our god is the god that did this miracle to get his people into the promised land 
And we mustn't, we could just read these passages and just move on. Oh yeah, the waters just stopped and then came flowing. This is a miracle, my friends. And this is a stunning moment for the Israelites. You've got to understand, for 40 years, they've just been watching people die around them because of their rebellion and sin, wandering within miles, sometimes maybe even yards of the promised land, wandering and never getting in. They've been sinning. They've been uh, rebellious. They've been grumbling against God. They've had unfulfilled hopes. But God, you told us we're going to go to the promised land, watching their fathers die, eating manna every day. It may have been tasty, but the same thing three times a day, let's get, that's going to become quite redundant and probably quite monotonous. And in this moment, they crossed the mighty flooded Jordan. And finally their feet are on the promised land. One of the meanings of the Hebrew word Jordan, for joy spread and Dan is judging. This is the river of judgment, my friends. They have crossed the river of judgment. They're no longer bound to wilderness wandering. They're now in the promised land. Paul Downey, another one of the commentators just looking at as we study this series, he discusses this moment and he highlights the symbolism for us. So you see the symbolism for the Israelites, but for us, listen to this. Israel's crossing Jordan, which should be two slides, great. Israel's crossing Jordan took them from where they had been to where they ought to be. It transported them from their former lives in the wilderness to their new lives in the land of promise. That is what the Holy Spirit's regeneration does for the child of God. There in, uh, just before the passage that um, Ben read for us this morning, we have this concept of being brought from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, from death into life. That's what happens, and this is what's symbolized by the crossing of the Jordan. Taken from wilderness wanderings and sin and bound in our sin, bound in our lostness. And the Holy Spirit awakens us and takes us through in Christ into the promised land. That's what happens at salvation. One brilliant author says this to us and read these words together with me. Look at the ark. Look at it. It is there in the middle of the river of death. Come and identify yourself with it and walk with Jesus. The path of death. That leads to abundant life. It is saying to cross the Jordan. And the symbolism of coming to Christ. It is saying goodbye to the world. To our past life. And everything in our present life. Which is less than the will of God. It is an identification with the cross of Calvary. But you know what happens at Calvary? Only one thing. Only one thing happens at Calvary. Death. Still standing on the brink. Is the death too painful? Too demanding? You'll never get to the land with all its riches in Christ on the other side of the river. You'll never inherit all the promises. Never know the blessings and the benefits. The fullness of his love and life in his spirit. If you keep standing on the brink. Which side of the Jordan are you on this morning? Always three types of people I think in a congregation. Those who are definitely in the promised land. Absolutely, definitely, so certainly in the promised land. Those who think they are but aren't. They're not born again. They're just part of a Christian culture, part of a church, and are living life in their own strength, but not in the spirit. They've had an experience with God, but not actually born again. That could be you this morning. And those that are definitely without Jesus, 
standing in the river of judgment. I ask you this morning, where are you? And will you come with us into the promised land? Will you come into a life so filled with rich blessings? No, not a life separated from circumstances. We're talking to uh, Bob and Judy at dinner with them last night saying how ironic it is that sometimes you hear teaching that as a Christian, you should be separated from all life's consequences. You should somehow live in an unreal world, a world where you fall over and you just go, guess what? I didn't graze my knee. That's not the world we live in. When you fall over, you graze your knee. When tectonic plates shift because our world is falling apart, earthquakes happen. It's not because of God that that happens. It's because the world is falling apart because we're living in rebellion and we've chosen to say, God, keep your plan for a perfect life. We want our own agenda and the world is dying. And all the unbelievers shout out, God, why did you do this? And he's going, you've never included me once ever before. Why bring me into the situation now? What are you thinking? Don't blame me. Look at your lives. Everyone's life out there is an earthquake on its own. Not physically, but the amount of fracture and brokenness in Western British society. There are earthquakes in almost every family. Because we've chosen to live our own way. Is that the world you want to stand in? Are you standing on the brink and saying, die to self? Die and live for the Lord Jesus? Not my thing. Or maybe you're saying, oh, I love the lovey-dovey part of Jesus, but you haven't died to self and said, Lord, you are Lord. So I want to live in the promised land in Christ. But that's where I am this morning. I'm in the promised land, and I'm loving it. It's not because I'm without difficulty. Promised land isn't heaven. Promised land is the battleground of living for Jesus. Now we come to the construction of two memorials. And I feel it's essential that we understand their immense significance for us this morning. You've got the memorial in the river, verse 9. Listen to this. And this is why I've chosen the ESV, because I believe there's two memorials built in this passage. The NIV passes over one and says that the rocks that Joshua was talking about were the same rocks taken to Gilgal. I don't believe that's the case. Verse 9. Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. For Joshua... This is, Joshua's, this is Joshua's own thing. If you watch great war movies or if you watch great moments, like I just, we were talking about Lord of the Rings last night as well, weren't we, Judy? Just great moments. Often the leader of the men, the main driven person hearing the direction, and if he's a godly man, hearing God's heart sometimes just takes time away. And this is what I think Joshua's doing. And Joshua is symbolizing something. Joshua's saying, this is my thing, guys. I, I need to set something up. And for Joshua, what that symbolized was that as a personal mo moment, this was a significant moment of worship to express the praise and the wonder at being caught up in leading the people from wilderness wandering to the promised land. Imagine as Moses died thinking, no, Moses is gone. Uh, yeah, and you're in his place. No, no, no. No, Moses is the main man. No, it's you now. And so you say, well, God, all I'm going to do is point them to you. All I'm going to do is point them to you. All I'm going to do is hear you and point them to you. That's enough. That's exactly what I want you to do. And you can imagine the wilderness wanderings. He was there. He went to see the land 40 years ago, came back and said, we could take it because God's on our side. And the 10 others said, no, we can't because we don't have faith. Similar to sometimes where we're at, i.e. this morning, we can't take it. God's not with us. I'm very, very scared. God's with us, my friends. And he's like, yeah, we can do it. 40 years later, watching all his friends die, except one, except one. Caleb, 
This is a moment of worship. Guys, I'm just going to do something on my own. This is about me and Yahweh. Being called to lead people from wilderness to the promised land. Seeing where the ark of the Lord stood while the people crossed and all that the ark of the Lord meant for him. The mercy of God. The commandments, the truth of God. God's word and his redeeming power. God is a God that takes us from our brokenness and emptiness and life of self-serving worship to a life of abundant life in loving him and knowing the joys of eternal life. He knew that. He knew that this God had made a way. He also confirmed, and this is for anyone who's got aspirations for leadership or has a leadership gift. He confirmed his understanding that great, successful leadership is simply two things. Obedience to God and pointing people to God. That's what this was about, this first memorial. Then you have the memorial in Gilgal. Again, one for Joshua, one for the Israelites. And let me read this quote to you. There were three ways in which the monument, I don't think, um, the three ways in which the monument in the new camp of Gilgal was to be a sign. It was to sign, signify that Israel had crossed the Jordan by God's power. One, these stones would testify to the fact that God himself had stopped the river. Second, this monument would signify, signify that they had crossed the Jordan un. Marked. They didn't have to kind of sprint across hoping not to get run over by the river. God had made it such that they crossed over unmarked and complete. They came through the river on dry ground, unharmed by the floodwaters of judgment. And third, this monument signified God's pledge of future blessings. He had brought them this far. He would not fail to keep his word. Israel had crossed the Jordan by God's power. They had crossed over unmarked. And God would be them in the future. What does this mean for us? Well, both memorials, I believe, signify the person of Christ. Listen to this quote again. The one in the Jordan pictures Christ taking upon himself the crushing force of the righteous wrath of God in judgment for our sins. Jesus didn't have to. The reason Jesus had to die is because he worshiped a holy God. And what a holy God can't do is get sin and just brush it under the carpet somewhere and say, you're kind of good enough. Come on in. Sin is an offense, a disgusting shock, and, and not, not shock, but it, it, to God's eyes, he cannot bear it because he's absolutely imperfectly holy. Something needed to be done with sin. So instead of him saying, which he should or could have, if we think of true justice, well, here, each of you take a dose of it and crushes us in a moment with our own sin and what we deserve before a holy God. He puts it all on his son. That's the cross. With love and holiness embrace. With death as its effect. So the one in the Jordan pictures Christ taking upon himself the crushing force of the righteous wrath of God. The one in Gilgal pictures Christ having come through the waters of judgment to stand forever as the victor over sin and death, providing salvation for those who trust him. Do you not see the stunning creativity, truthfulness, and wisdom of God in making every page of Scripture point to Jesus Christ. 
You see what happens with Scripture is the authors of Scripture rise up in beautiful, harmonious union to declare the gospel, the good news. There is salvation in Jesus. Hear me, I am Nehemiah. Hear me, I am Esther. Hear me, I am uh, Moses speaking in the first five books. Hear me, I'm Joshua. Hear me, I'm Malachi. Hear me, I'm Micah. Hear me, I'm Zephaniah. Hear me, I am speaking that it's Jesus. It's Jesus. God will make a way for you to know him so that you don't have to be lost in your self-sinning, crushing life without him, but you can know joy eternal. They rise. In harmonious union. So in Joshua chapter 4, you have two memorials that mean one thing for the Israelites. But as we read it, we can go, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. He took my sin in the Jordan. And I live my life eternally in his risen life in Gilgal. You see, the Christian life is all about identification and union with Christ. I need, you to po- I need to point you just quickly to some of the teaching of the New Testament. You see, no matter everything else you try to do to come into God's presence, in the end, it's been decided the way it works, is that it's union with Christ, only with Christ, only on His merit, only with Him in His camp, only united with Him are you going to be able to be with God for eternal life. There's no other way. There's no being almost good enough. There's no, well, let me try and sneak in at the last moment by paying God off. There's none of that. And the Bible points to that again and again. If we turn to John chapter 5, verse 24, we read these words. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Have you heard the word of Jesus this morning, my friends? Have you passed from death to life, or are you standing in the rivers of judgment? It's only through union with Christ. Galatians 2 verse 20, one of my most favorite verses. So powerful. Learn these ones off by heart, my friends. Galatians 2 verse 20. I, Simon, has been, or Paul, has been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am fully identified with Jesus. I am in Christ. As Ben prayed this morning, as he led us in worship, he sees Jesus when he looks at me. He sees Jesus' righteousness, Jesus' goodness, Jesus' obedience to every command. And so in him, I am seen as fully clean, fully ready to enter the presence of God. Galatians 2 verse 20. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 6. Ephesians 2, 1 through 6. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved do you want to know what baptism is about baptism is a sacrament if you haven't been baptized by full immersion we need to talk about that if you want to be baptized with us as a church if you believe this is your home church it would be great to talk about that but if you haven't been baptized it's in a sense a sign of disobedience 
Because baptism is a sacrament. In other words, it is a living inaction, a visible inaction of what Christ has already done. And so it's dying with Christ under the water and rising up in resurrection life with him. It's an act of obedience. It's a sacrament you do to symbolize and embody in obedience to Christ that you are one with him. You are identified with him. Read Romans 6 verses 3 to 8. That's what it's all about. That in Christ, you have to be unified and in Christ if you want to enter the presence of God. And that's what these memorials are about. Let me rush through the next couple of points. Memorials for who? Last week, while referring to the 12 men used to carry the stones to build the memorial, I made this statement to us as a church. They were absorbed into the building of a sign that would testify to the faithfulness, mercy, and awesome power of God to future generations. People of X1, that is what our lives of faith intertwined and united here at this church are meant to be. The New Testament says to us in 1 Peter 2, chapter, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, that we're living stones built together to do what? To be absorbed into the building of a memorial, a sign, a monument, not a physical one so we can go, yeah, look how big our church building is, but we together can be built together to be something that is a stunning reminder to people, to the world, to future generations of the goodness and the glory and the wonder and the love of Christ. We can build a glorious memorial. That is what we're about here. We're not here just to fill a screen and say, well, well done, Andy. Well done, Simon. Well done, leadership. Pat, pat, pat. We filled it. We're building something significant, something beautiful, something that points to God, that reminds a secular, godless world that Jesus is king. That's what we're about this morning. So why did they build the memorials? Why, why would we do it? Memorials for who? Okay. Firstly, Verse 6, that this may be a sign among you. They built the memorial for themselves. They built the memorial so that they themselves could look and see God's faithfulness. Secondly, they built the memorial for their, and we build the church, we're part of building the church with Jesus, why we're trying so hard to see X1 become something significant and beautiful, a radiant city that attracts people, is for their and our children. Verse 6 again, when your children ask in time to come. Verses 21 and 23, so that when your children ask, when a son asks his father, what are those stones for? You can tell them because of God. Let me tell you what God did in bringing us across the Jordan. Why are we putting, why are we so involved in this? Why is our heart so burning to, to see X1 become something significant, something that blesses um, not only Watford but beyond, so that our kids can be drawn into this, be a part of this, and so that our kids can see the gospel life living in us. And let me make it as an aside. It is your role as parents, not the role of a youth work or a youth Friday night. You as parents, read Deuteronomy 6, read Ephesians 6. Sons, don't, fathers, don't exasperate your children. It doesn't say pastors, don't exasperate your children. Because your children are looking at you and saying, that's Jesus? Don't want a thing to do with it. Or they're looking at you and going, that's Jesus? I want a part of that, daddy. I want a part of that, mummy. Yeah, I go to Transformers for 45 minutes on a Sunday morning. That's not going to make any difference in a child's life. What they see day by day by day in the life of faith that you're building, in your union with other believers in building X1, is what they're going to see as a sign, as a memorial, as something that says to him, I want a part of that. 
I long for that for my two kids. That somehow in the life of Kiri and Simon Lee Jones and in the life of this church they're a part of, they would find something that says, I want a part of that. Don't entrust that to your church. Don't entrust that to your youth pastors. That's your role as parents. Can you take that as strongly as I said it? That's your role, okay? Not a lot of amens, but that's fine. Speak it to me first. I'm not going to dump Malachi and Madison off of Transformers and say, tell you what, if they're not talking about Jesus and praying together at the table, I'm firing you guys. That's my role. Because of 168-hour week, one hour of Transformers, it's not going to make the difference. That's about us. We put it on because it does influence and affect and touch and maybe brings people to know that their kids can be in a place where they're not having to you know, hear things that are above them but are being pulled in something that's directed at them. But that's not what's going to transform their lives. You will be the ones that show them Christ and what we do here, this church that we're a part of. Proverbs 22.6, raise your son in the way of the Lord. Finally, why build these memorials? For the world. Verse 24, so that all the people of the earth may know the mighty hand of God has been with you. Can I call us to build a memorial, a magnificent sign to Christ, to the gospel, and to his bride, the church? Let's build a stunning, radiant city that people want to be a part of. That's what I want to do. That's what I want this church to be. I can't wait for the day out of the 400 people that walk down that corridor, 345 of them are not going into screen 3 and screen 6 and screen 2, but they're turning into screen 7. And we'd have a real problem, I know, but then maybe we need to book another screen. But you know what, that, that would mean a radical turnaround of the whole of culture. For the, norm to go to, for the norm to be to go to church again on Sundays, transformation. We need God. We need send your revival rain. Send your rain. Because that's the only way that's going to happen. But I tell you what, we have a part to play. Because if we're living lives in opposition to or in ignorance to the, the true meaning of the gospel, if we're living lives of legalism and judgment, no one's going to ever listen. Our lives make such a difference. So I say this to finish. I'm not that close to finishing because I'm, I'm allowed to keep going. Remember to remember to forget the fear. Remember to remember to forget the fear. Someone has said, the greatest enemy of faith may be forgetfulness. There was a show um, on BBC uh, about a man called Clive Wearing, and it was called The Man with a 30-Second Memory. Let me tell you a bit about him. Clive Wearing is an accomplished musician. He is known for editing the works of Orlandi Delasius, and Wearing sang at Westminster Cathedral as a tenor lay clerk for many years and also had a successful career as a London chorus master and worked at places such as Covent Garden and the London Sinfonietta Chorus. On March 29, 1985, Wearing, then an acknowledged expert in early music at the height of his career with BBC Radio 3, contracted a virus which normally causes cold sores, but in Wearing's case, attacked the brain. Since this point, he has not been able to store new memories. He has been unable to control emotions and associate memories as well. Wearing developed a profound case of total amnesia as a result of his illness. He is completely unable to form lasting new memories. His memory lasts between seven and 30 seconds. He spends every day waking up every 20 seconds, restarting his consciousness. 
He remembers little of his life before 95. He knows, for example, that he has children but cannot remember their names. His love for his second wife, Deborah, whom he married the year prior to his illness, is undiminished. He greets her joyously every time they meet, believing he has not seen her in years, even though she may have just left the room to fetch a glass of water. Kiri's going to probably start praying for that to happen to me. Imagine, every time Simon sees me, oh, I love you, it's the first time ever. We're back to those days. Woo. He can't remember longer than 30 seconds. We have that problem, people. We don't remember enough. We let the now, we let the pain, the circumstance, the destruction, and the difficulty of now define everything instead of sometimes taking time to remember. I can remember June 20th, 1993, sitting on the side of a hill as the Lord broke into my heart and transformed my understanding of life. I can remember that vividly. I can remember the colors of the grass. I can remember that moment. I can remember walking back up to the chapel and just screaming out, yes, I can remember my time at a place called Duma, which means cheetah in Swahili. I can remember being there for a year and a half where instead of loving what Jesus had done, I came to fall in love with Jesus himself and it transformed my life again and going from there to work for a church and being involved in ministry. I can remember a moment in the USA when I was lying on a floor and the heaviness, the weight and the love of God was upon me in such a way I felt unconscious and didn't know where I was or where I was in reality. All I knew was in the presence of God. I can remember that. And sometimes, you know what? I have to. Because today sucks. So I have to. Yes, you've saved me. Yes, I remember that day. Yes, I remember the beautiful moments. I remember what you've done. I remember your glory, your majesty, your love for me. I remember January 11th last year where for some reason they said, we're going to trust you to lead this church. I can remember the power and the joy of knowing that God had put his anointing and his appointment on me to be a leader of God's people. What do you remember? Remember to remember to forget the fear. Remember what? The power and the faithfulness of God. Oh, we could line up testimonies and go until next, who knows when, of how many times God has broken into people's lives and doing something phenomenal. Remember the grace of God. Just as I am, to you I come. He's so full of grace, my friends. So full of grace. Remember the gospel. Remember his word. The only way you remember it is by putting it in there in the first place. Remember his word. Remember his everyday goodness. You didn't have to get here this morning, people. Easy could have been involved in a fatal accident. Easy could have rolled out of bed, broken your neck and died. Strange stuff, but easy could have happened. Easily. As I crossed the A405, easily. Bang! Lee Jones is gone. Didn't have to make it to this morning, but oh, modern Western people, we deserve everything we get and we want more. Maybe you should all, if you get a chance, maybe we should all get to Haiti or maybe take a trip with Rudy to rural Zimbabwe. Some of you have been to India, some of you could stand up here. Um, got Humphrey from Kenya, where you see people, people don't expect their child to live to four years old. There's a high likelihood it won't. Guys, we have it so good. We are so blessed as a people. Remember his everyday goodness. Memories are the soil of faith. And a life of faith is a life that lives without fear. I say that again. Memories are the soil of faith. And a life of faith is a life that lives without fear. Take some time to remember.
all that God is and all that he's done. Can we stand together? I want to pray for us. Lord, I pray you forgive us for being such a forgetful people. We see other places in Scripture where you are. You write through your prophets to the people of God for doing the same thing, for forgetting all that you are, all that you've done, all that you will do. Lord, remind us by your Spirit. Cause us to take time out to engage in remembering. Husbands and wives would remember the grace of God and meeting and the joy. I encourage some of you to do that. Take some time out. Just remember how wonderful it was when you first got together. But people of God, remember that moment or that time when you realize the love of God. Recall it. Bring it back. Live in it. And live a life of faith. Live a life embedded in the memories of all that God has done. Don't live the old life and try and hark back and go back there and live there. Use them to prompt a life of faith. Lord, would you do that in our hearts? By your Spirit, let us be a people that remember to remember in order to forget the fear. Thank you for your gospel. Thank you for Jesus. I pray for anyone in this room that hasn't come to know Jesus. Would you now by your spirit convict them of their lostness, their emptiness, and their brokenness and draw them to the love of Jesus, the love of God in Christ. God, we love you. Please be with us as a people. Define us by faith that we would just be a people that reflect the person of Christ to an unbelieving, broken, secular world. That's what we want. And to just know you more and love you more. I pray for these things by the power of your spirit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.